Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey everyone, go ahead and take your seats. It really is uh, great to have the opportunity to speak to you all today. And um, wherever you are, whether you're here in the room or whether you're at home online, it's just fantastic that you're able to join us in church today. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a series in church simply called Summer Cocktails. And in the same way that a cocktail has a number of different ingredients, we've been talking over the last few weeks about some of the most common things that we encounter throughout our lives. We've talked about things like family life and identity and unity, and we've talked about loneliness and friendship. And um, if you've missed any of the content from these last few weeks from this series, I would seriously encourage you to jump online on YouTube and catch up for sure, because there's been some really great everyday lifestyle shaped content for every single one of us throughout this series. But you know, just as we bring this collection of talks to a close today, and I guess really I just wanted to sort of speak about a subject which just might be all of our biggest struggle. It just might be something that we all find maybe the hardest and we're all common in it. I think that you can read in the Bible about this subject matter that God detests it. And that's a pretty big statement. That's a pretty bold thing. It's called in some translations, an abomination. Like these are pretty big words. And I feel like we're all common in this. I think that the Bible tells us it's in every single one of our hearts. And it's in fact, our default position. And of course, that thing that I'm gonna be talking about today is pride. It's pride, that it's what's common to all of us. But I think that just before I jump into this today, I would love to just pray. So let's just do that. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful, God, that we are all here today. And I'm so thankful, God, that I get to open your word. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've chosen to give this message to me for the church today. And Lord God, I pray that I would have wisdom, that I would have clarity as I speak And God, more than any other thing, I pray, God, that I get out of the way and I let you do what you do. And when you speak to people's hearts, God, we pray for freedom. We pray for breakthrough. God, we pray for life to come out of these words today. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. You know, I don't know what it's like for you girls, but certainly for boys growing up, life is one big competition. Life is like um, the conversation topic that kind of fills the air amongst a bunch of boys is who's best, who's fastest, who's biggest, who's tallest, who's the greatest. It's like one big competition all the way through. And I was no different. And I remember this time years and years ago, I was like nine or 10 years old and I turned up in the school playground this one day and I was talking with my group of lads and I was basically saying how I'd seen this wrestling move on the TV. Who remembers all the WWE that used to be all over the TV? I'd seen this wrestling move and it was called a Boston Crab. And I was saying to my bunch of mates how like, when you get in one of these holds, it's like impossible to get out. That's it, it's like game over when you're in this hold. 
To which one of the lads said, well, that's not true. And I was like, it is. And then the conversation escalated slightly because he challenged me and I challenged him and we had a bit of backwards and forwards. And then he said something which just flicked my switch. He said something that just tipped me over the edge. He just goes, it's not that good. And even if you could do it, you wouldn't be able to because you're not big enough. So instantly, I took, I took the lowly route and I, I was a Christian boy, so I, no, I didn't. I brought him straight to the ground. I took him straight down and I set about getting him in my Boston Crab move just to show him how wrong he was. And um, it's kind of like, um, best to describe it, he's face down and his head's that way and you're kind of like, you're back to his head and you're sort of on his back and his legs are up under your arms and as you then hold on to his legs and as you apply pressure to his back, in a wrestling match, you're forced to concede. Otherwise, your back's going to give way. So I'm getting him in this hold and he's on the floor and we're down and we're, we're like trying to get this thing. Now, somehow, that's how it's supposed to work on the TV. Now, somehow, I'm desperately trying to make this thing happen. And he manages to get his legs free enough that he's able to just kick. So he kicks both legs full on. And he sends me, who wasn't big enough, it turns out, sailing through the air and I land on my face on the, play, on the playground tarmac, and then I kind of like come round, just my face is covered in blood, and I come round and I've got this crowd around me, and there's like all this commotion, and I'm like, what the heck's going on? And then I end up having to go to the dentist, because what had happened was a tooth had gone through my lip and cracked completely in half one of my two front teeth. So I had to go and get an emergency dental repair done to my front tooth. And even today, I have a very small piece of tooth in my lip that never got removed during the procedure. So I have a constant reminder of this that goes with me for the rest of my days. And if I'm really honest, it wasn't the part of the story that I regret the most wasn't the fact that my hold didn't work, which if I'm really honest, I'm actually quite surprised at how it didn't work because it was supposed to work. But like, that's not the thing that regret the most. And it's not even the fact that I've got a crown on my front tooth, which every few years decides to come off, which is a bit of an inconvenience. So I have to go and get the thing reattached. And that's not even the thing I regret the most. What I regret the most from the whole scenario is the thought process that I still have now sometimes that got me there. It's the fact that I couldn't simmer down. It's the fact that I couldn't let it go. It's the fact that I was so proud at that young age that I was unable to let it go. That one comment offended me so badly, you're not big enough to do it. And even at that young age, I was just too proud. I was like nine or 10 years old. But I think that maybe that story would probably just remind us all of times when we've all said some stuff or done some stuff or been a way that we just wouldn't have been if we weren't so proud. You know, the feeling that you get when someone comes to two lanes of going into one and they're really put, coming down the outside, you can see them in your mirror and they're desperate to get in front of you. You know that feeling that you get, you're like, oh no, you don't, as you just squeeze the accelerator a little bit harder. And then just because they managed to get in front of you, you're like that wounded that you spend the rest of your journey miles away from where you were actually going to go just to try and get back in touch in front of them again. And it's like, you know the feelings that you get. Or when like you tell someone that you earn more than you do just because you want them to think that you're doing better than you really are. Or, you know, the feeling that we get when somebody belittles us in public and maybe we just kind of like, 
we just think, you do not get to speak to me like that. Like, who do you think you're talking to? The feeling that you get inside. Maybe when you do something um, that you feel you shouldn't be ought to be doing and the feeling that it gives you because of your title or who you are and you're like, I should not be doing this stuff because of who I am. Or maybe when you get caught out on something and you're in public and it makes you look a bit stupid in company and like you just want to retaliate, not because it's going to fix anything, but if you're honest, it's just because it's going to make you feel a little bit better about yourself. You know, pride really can be one of those things that can push us further than we would ever want to go. It can take us to some really, really bad places. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity or living an unpure life, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. That's what he says about pride. And it's like, wow, really? It's that bad? Pride says, I want to be like God. It's how the devil became who he is. He's a fallen angel who said, no, no, no. I don't want to worship you. I want to be like you. That's what pride does. It's when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they didn't want to get told what they could and couldn't do. They were like, well, we say, you know, that's, we say, we know you say, God, that that's no good for us, but we want to see what it is because we think that maybe you're withholding some goodness from us. That's pride. And it's the biggest struggle in this room today. And it's the biggest struggle of everyone listening and watching online at home. It's just such a huge struggle for humanity. So there's some questions I can ask you today to see if you struggle with pride. Are you anxious? Are you critical of others? Are you defensive when someone points out things that are wrong in you? Do you just justify it and explain it away? Do you quickly notice pride in others? He's so prideful, she's so prideful. Do you constantly seek out approval from others? Do you like it when your accomplishments are well known? Do you think your struggle or brokenness is bigger than God's grace? Do you believe that you're worthless or unforgiven? Does a particular sin define you more than what God says about you? You see, I think it's entirely possible that pride more than any other thing is robbing us of God's blessing, God's grace, God's joy, and his unending love. And I think there's a warning for all of us here today that if we fall into and live out of a place of pride, then it's not going to end well for us. It's only a matter of time before we end up in a commotion on the floor with pieces of tooth in our lip. It's only a matter of time. So today, just in the couple of minutes that we've got together, I just want to have a little look at the answer to this one question. How do I overcome pride? Like, how do I deal with it? How is that even possible? And I think that the great news for all of us today is that we aren't the first ones to have asked this question. And you really don't have to look very far before you see that it's not just something that affects us now, but it also was something was exactly the same for the early church, just a short few uh, short few, sort of short amount of time after Jesus rose from the dead, it was exactly the same for them as it is for us here today. In fact, it was that much of an issue that the Apostle Peter wrote a letter to the church to encourage them because he could see how hard they were finding it to live the right way. 
And when Peter uh, speaks to them, he, he kind of signs off his letter and he signs it off with how they should care for each other and also how they should treat each other with humility and rather than pride. So let's just have a very brief read, 1 Peter chapter 5, what he said to the early church and what he'd say to us if he was here today. So 1 Peter 5, we're starting at verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the great family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So he's saying, guys, we're not on our own. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I was young, I went to Sunday school, which is basically a really uncool way to say powerhouse. And um, like one of the things that like I was taught was memory verses. And if you went to Sunday school, you'll know there's a few memory verses in there. Like anyone recognise, uh, cast all your anxiety on him before he cares for you. Or God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Or uh, to him be the power and glory forever and ever, amen. Like all these things, they're not just nice little one-liners to like give your Sunday school teacher or your powerhouse teacher something to do. There's life in these words. There's power in these words. There's, there's freedom in these words. And if we're learning these things as kids, then these are the things that are going to come all the way through our lives with us. So from Peter's letter, I've just pulled out three very brief points, which I feel will help us all and talk to us a little bit about how pride operates in our lives and how to best avoid it um, when we take into consideration that it's pride, not humility, that comes naturally to the human race. Point number one. Pride brings opposition. If we find ourselves thinking a lot about ourselves or thinking about ourselves a lot, we're going to live with opposition coming against us in life. The opposition is going to come from ourselves. It's going to come from God. And it's going to come from our enemy, the devil, as well. We're going to have all that coming against us when we start to think about ourselves too much. Verse five tells us, when I say the opposition of God, verse five reads, God opposes the proud, but he shows favour to the humble. That's what it says in verse five. God opposes the proud. In the same way that when you're watching a sports match and you, and you see these teams and they're running around in all the different colours, you identify who those teams are by the colours that they're wearing, by the uniform that they're wearing. And when we choose to wear pride, we're wearing the uniform of the opposing team. We're wearing the uniform of the other team. And by the other team, I mean the team that's playing against God. So you're going to be literally in, op in, in opposition to the most powerful force in the whole world. And Peter carries on in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, this verse shows us something that's really interesting, but really, really unpopular. It shows us that the source of anxiety is pride. 
It shows us that the source of anxiety is pride. And I don't want you to just switch off or lose your attention because of a throwaway statement like that. But just consider that for a second, that the source of anxiety is pride. I know that if you struggle with anxiety in here today or at home online, then that's not going to seem helpful to you. That's not going to seem helpful at all, that someone could just say one line and just try and wrap up your problem. But if it's true, then I think it might actually help some of us here today. So we can test it to see if it's true. So let's just test it for a second that the source of anxiety is pride. If there's someone who's cared for by someone who's all-powerful, by someone who can do anything they want to, anything at all, if, it, if, it's, if it's possible that there's someone who's cared for by someone like that, if that person feels absolutely loved and absolutely protected and absolutely provided for and cared for, can they be anxious? If they're absolutely loved and absolutely provided for and absolutely cared for, can they be anxious? And the bottom line is for all of us today that if we take God at his word, if we take him at his promises then we're absolutely loved, absolutely provided for, and absolutely cared for. The Bible tells us that a sparrow doesn't hit the ground apart from his will, that like he's looking after every single thing on this planet. And you might go, well, yeah, I see that, but how do I believe it? I I see it, but how do I get over that hurdle in my mind? How do I believe God for these things? Well, I think that first we have to see that at the core of our anxiety is doubt of God's goodness, which is us saying we know more about God's character than he tells us. Like we start to ask questions like, is he good? And does he love us? And can he protect us? Like, does he have the power to protect us? And these are the things that we get anxious about. Because anxiety is not a fight uh, against something else. It's a fight inside of ourselves. It's a struggle inside of ourselves. And this is the opposition of self. Pride brings opposition. And I believe if we can get rid of pride, I believe we'll get rid of anxiety. Because verse 8 tells us, um, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that a great family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And what Peter's saying is, the things that we're anxious about are the wall that Satan plays inside. He's like, he's inside all those things. And so he brings opposition to us as well. He whispers to us things like, you're never going to get married. You're going to be single your whole life. They don't like you. You're not going to make enough money. You're never going to make enough money. You might lose your job. Like he's whispering to us and, 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 he's, and he's lying to us and he knows where we're weak and that's where he shoots at the gaps in our armour. He, he knows where we doubt and then our pride feeds the lie. Like he feasts on the areas of our lives that we trust in other than God. And Peter tells us that we've got to stand firm. Peter tells us that we've got to resist him. He tells us that we're being told to to starve him out. He's a stray cat. He's a smelly cat. Phoebe from Friends would write a song about him. And we're being told that to starve him out, that's what he is. And it's like, if, if you feed a stray cat, what does he do? He stays. And if you starve a stray cat, what does he do? He leaves. And we're being told to starve him out. Satan is like Netflix, 
<laughs> They're one and the same. Satan and Netflix, you heard it here first. No, but you know how Netflix works, right? So, so Netflix goes, um, oh, oh you, you like Friends, do you? Okay, great. Oh, how about The Office? How about Seinfeld? Or, um, or you, like, uh, you like Stranger Things season one? How about season two? Or like, oh, you like horror, do you? Watch this, watch this, watch this. You like violence? Oh, watch this violence, watch this, watch this. You see how he works? He works inside of our own weaknesses and, 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 and we feed him. And, and so he keeps putting these things in front of us and we don't even realise that we're feeding the very struggles that we want freedom from, but they're not going to go because we're feeding them. So our pride brings opposition. It brings opposition from all those areas. It brings opposition from God, from ourselves and from our enemy too. And we need to stand firm and resist him. This looks like every single day, deciding and making a choice that we're going to humble ourselves in front of God and we're going to stand firm. And we're going to say things to God like, God, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to, I'm going to cast this on you because I can't deal with this. It looks like every single day, casting our anxieties onto him, constantly throwing our things onto him. It, it, it looks like us being alert and, and having our minds ready for what's going on. And the best way to do that is surround yourself with like-minded, positive, good people for your life, either here at church, in a life group, or go for a coffee with someone. Just go and just don't be caught on your own struggling with this stuff alone. And the second point today is this, God helps the humble. God helps the humble. Verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. King David's favourite illustration, his like uh, King David, so David and Bathsheba, David and Goliath, um, David the shepherd boy, that David, his go-to illustration of God was that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Like, and, and he knew what he was saying because David was a shepherd and he's putting himself in the story. He's saying, God's the shepherd and I'm the sheep. And, and I, think, I love that analogy because the thing about a sheep is they're the most defenseless thing in the entire animal kingdom. Like they've got no sharp teeth. They've got no sharp claws. They've got no thumbs. They've got nothing to them. They're just a sheep. They're like, do you know what happens when a sheep gets scared? It falls over. True story. It literally falls. It's a sponge with sticks for legs. That's a sheep. And it's like, we, we, like if we think that we're immune to pride, then, then we're going to be lunch because there's a lion out there and he's prowling around and he's looking around and he's looking for us. And a sheep without a shepherd is lunch. But a sheep with a shepherd is loved and protected and provided for and kept safe. And we have a shepherd. He's our maker and our creator. He's the, he's the one who made the earth where we live. And if we humble ourselves under him and we allow him to be our protector and our provider, then we, all we have to do is be humble and give him the things that we struggle with. Verse seven says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What's it telling us to do? Throw our anxieties on him. Just throw our anxieties onto him. Imagine God being a great big hat stand and we're just throwing all of our anxieties onto him. And then you go away and then you get more and you take it off and you just go back and you throw your anxieties on him again. It's just constantly telling us to throw our anxieties on him. And you might be, well, yeah, but, but why? Like, what, why would I just throw my anxieties on God? And like, why would I do that? Because he loves you. Because he chose you. And you might 
be there today going, what, what, what do you mean he chose me? Look around. You're here in church. Like, you're nowhere else. You're here in church. And I'm saying that's not by chance. You're here today because he's pursuing you, because he loves you, because he chose you. That's why you're here. So why not today come to the end of yourself and look up at our God who loves you so much and just humble yourself in front of him and say, look, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I'm at the end of myself and I'm choosing now to throw all my anxieties on you and throw all of your things onto him and humble yourself in front of him and let him be your shepherd. You know, just a few months ago, um, our two-year-old daughter, Elsie, uh, started doing this thing where she just like wouldn't go down at night. She wouldn't sleep and she'd constantly just cry when Vicky and I would leave the room. And, you know, it didn't matter that we were still going to be in the house. As far as she knew, when we shut the door and we left her room, we could have got on a plane and flown to Siberia because she was just distraught the fact that we weren't in her room with her. And she actually used the three things that we do with her as part of her bedtime routine as like leverage at just under two years old to keep us in the room. Like they're switched on. Don't tell me babies don't know what's going on. She knows exactly what's going on. That kid's like got leverage on us. So she'd either say, pray. So we'd pray again and keep on praying like very holy family, very holy baby. And um, or she'd say, good God, because we've got a book called Goodnight God that we read her before she goes to sleep. Or she'd say Snuggle, which you might think is lovely. She wants a cuddle. No, she wants another book called Snuggle Psalms that we also read to her. And she wants us to read this other book called Snuggle Psalms. And she'd get really upset when we'd leave. So Vicky went away and did some uh, research and... Um, she looked into this uh, parenting book and it talked all about this whole uh, thing where the baby's crying, they don't want you to leave their room. And what it said was, it spoke right into it and it said, um, you've got to tell them where you're going to be. You have to, you have to tell them the truth about where you're going to be. But what's really important when you talk to a baby is your posture. So we have to get right down. And so now we do this thing. We have to tell them the truth about where mommy and daddy are. So like, for example, I'll put her to bed and I'll do this thing and I'll get down. I'll go, now, Elsie, Daddy's going to be just on the other side of that door. And um, if you need me, you can call me because I'm just outside the door. And I'm going to come to you because I love you. And you're in bed and you're safe and it's time to go to sleep. And she's just starting to get it. And we've done it for a while now. And she's starting to understand that daddy's just the other side of the door. And so's mummy and we love her and she's safe. And I look at that and she's just starting to get it and kind of work it out at just under two years old. And I started thinking, that's what God says to every single one of us. He says, I'm here. I'm here and I love you. And you can come to me and I'm, and I'm just there. And all you've got to do is call and I'll come. And all you've got to do is ask. And I'm never going to leave you. And I'm never going to abandon you because I love you. And like, she's so humble. She's a baby. She, she just believes it. But somehow we need to get our minds to just be able to have simple faith and believe. It's all around simple dependency. It's like, dad, I'm scared, where are you? Dad, like I, I could really do with you now. I need to know, I need to know you're there, God. I, I need to know you're there and I'm scared and I, and I need you. Can, you. can you come and help me? I got myself in a mess again. I, I did that whole thing again. 
I took that again and I went there again and I clicked on that again and I called her again or I saw him again. God, you know that, that list of 10 commandments, I've broken them all, God, and I'm so far from you and I just need you to come and be with me. I've chosen the wrong thing again, but God, I pray that, Lord, you'd help me to do what's right. And even when I choose to do what's wrong, will you come to me? Will you help me? Will you, even if I've chosen wrong, will you help me figure it out? God, will you help me just get back and remind me that I can come to you, remind me that I can talk to you about all these things. And from this moment forward, like right now, God, would you just help me to do what's right? Help me to choose what's right. And it allows God that when we go to him like that, he can remind us of who he is. He can remind us of what he says about us. He can remind us, but how can he remind us if, if he doesn't get a chance because we don't go to him in the first place? So we need to remember that God helps the humble. And the last point today, just as we bring this thing to a close, is that we need to wear humility. Verse five starts by telling us, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. This is every single one of us being told to put on the shirt of the same team. This, this is all of us. This is like non-dependent on whether you're old, or whether you're young, or whether you're married, or whether you're single, or whoever you are. This is all of us being told to wear the colours of the same team. If you think about it, this is where our relationship with Jesus starts. It starts when we get to the end of ourselves and we say, I can't do this by myself anymore. So I need you. I need you, God, to come and help me do this. It's where we realise we can't go on. But the only way, the only way we're ever going to be able to live a humble life is in relationship with him. It's the only way it's ever going to work. And if you think about it this way, God's not expecting us to do this by ourselves. He's expecting us to come to a place where we realise we can't do this by ourselves. And then we go, I need some help, which is where Jesus comes in. That, that he's expecting us to come to him. So then you come to Jesus and you put on humility and you wear it like a garment and you put on that thing. And then when people look at you, they don't see someone who's proud or puffy chested or self-aggrandizing or making themselves seem really great. They see a servant of God. They see you not taking all the glory for yourself, but rather directing all of the glory to Him. And you'll just be like, hey, I'm just serving. I'm just doing my best. I'm just doing what I know how to do. And uh, like, he's the one who I serve. I just carry his chair. You know, like on those films where you see the king going down the road and they're just carrying his chair. That's just us. We're just serving him and we're carrying his chair. And what that tells me today is that humility is something that we have to actively put on. We have to actively wear it because it doesn't happen naturally. Pride happens naturally. In our lives, pride will consume us. It will consume us in exactly the same way that when, that when you're like young and it's cold outside and your parents say to you, you better put on a coat because if you don't put on a coat, you're going to get cold. Or when you're abroad, on a beach and there's not a cloud in the sky and it's like 35 degrees. Remember holidays, aren't they fantastic? But like when you're on a beach and it's like 35 degrees and someone says to you, you need to put on some sun cream because if you don't put on some sun cream, you're going to burn. Like in exactly the same way as that, Peter's telling us that we've got to 
put on humility or else we're going to be standing in opposition to the most powerful force in the whole of the universe. And that's not going to go well for us. It's really not. So what does it look like practically? Like, what does it look like to practically put on humility? Every day, you and I, all of us, we've all got things to do. We've all got meetings. We've got iCals. We've got, you know, diaries. We've got, you know, for the people who are unsaved, we've got Microsoft calendars and things like that. And, you know, we've all got stuff coming up in our day. And every day, it just means looking through your day. And um, so to give you an example, I'll, I'll get up and I'll look at my diary or think through what I've got on that day. And I'll go, okay, well, it's Friday. It's the end of the week. And you know, I've got no meetings today, so I can just afford to be more casual. So I'll put some joggers on and I'll come into the office and, you know, I'll wear what's appropriate for that day. So it looks like looking through our diaries and thinking, I'm going to have to wear some humility for that one. Like I've got that meeting coming up and I know I'm going to have to wear some humility for that one. Like, like this one's going to be a problem because she annoys me. Not you, <laughs> are you? No, don't, 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 she annoys me. But like, when I see my family, I'm gonna have to wear some humility for that one. Like when I go and see that, the boss for that appraisal, definitely gonna have to wear some humility for that one. And it looks like dressing appropriately for the day that's ahead of you and being intentional and wearing that thing and putting that humility on. And what's God's response when we do that? Verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will Himself restore you. Will Himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. He restores you, He makes you strong. But not only that, He makes you steadfast. That means unwavering. It means long lasting. It means nothing's gonna take you down. And that's a promise from the one who made you, who knows you, who loves you so, so much. And that's what happens when you choose to wear humility. Remember, just very briefly, as we literally finish off, remember um, when William and Kate and then Harry and Meghan, remember when they had their, like, their royal babies, you know, those royal kids and they came along and I just remember thinking like, wow, those babies, they, they were like born in like the world's best hospitals with the world's best doctors and they will have had the world's best medical care and like their pajamas will be worth more than my car and they're like all these amazing blankets and the, the, the media was fighting. Do you remember it's like a media storm? Who gets to cover the birth of these royal babies? And, and if we just for a second just contrast that to when God came to this planet, that when he came here 2,021 years ago in an event that reset our calendar, the God that made this planet and the universe that it sits inside of couldn't find a room. He couldn't find a space. So he ended up in a place where they feed animals. And when he was born, the shouts of, it's a boy, were covered by animal noises. And because they couldn't find a bed, they stuck him in a place where just minutes earlier, animals had had their mouths. And the smell in the air would have been like a farm. And the second he was born, little baby when I think about my baby in the minute she was born kings wanted to kill him the second he came into this planet and he would die but not until he'd lived a perfect life a life that you and I can't live we can never live a perfect life and when he died he took all of our shame and all of our brokenness and all of our 
all of our debauchery and all of our drunkenness and all of our pride and all of our anger. He, he took all of that. It was all nailed to him when he died and he did it for every single one of us. It all went on him. So you might be there today and you might ask, all right, so what do I do today? What do you want me to do with this? And I would simply answer that with a question. I would just say, let me ask you this. Is there anything you can do today to pursue Jesus more? Do that. Is there anything you can do to pursue him more? Just do that. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.